Well, good morning and welcome again to the Mission Viejo Church of Christ. I'm very, very excited to be with you guys here this morning. And uh, before we dive into the lesson, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you. Um, as you guys know, Ed has been traveling a ton for work lately. And uh, I've gotten the call from the bullpen a few times to get up here and uh, bring a message to you. And I just want to thank you guys all for all of the love and support that you guys have shown me. Um, for those of you who have done public speaking, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do, um, and preaching adds a whole other layer to that. So uh, I'm still learning, I'm still kind of finding my way, but I really appreciate all of you guys' love and support, um, even when Ray says things like, hey buddy, you're preaching today, don't screw it up. Um, I know that that comes from a place of love from Ray, and, uh, and even that I find encouragement. And so again, I just want to thank all of you so much for that. I really, really, really appreciate all of your words of encouragement and your positivity. And of course, a big thank you to my wife, um, who is my sounding board as I come up with lessons. She's there to tell me, yeah, I like that, or yeah, maybe you should go a different direction. Um, so I couldn't do it without her, of course. So the nice thing about me being able to come up here from time to time and give a lesson when Ed's away is that I get to spend some time really thinking about and praying about what I want to speak about. And it's funny how God works in very mysterious ways sometimes because as I'm thinking through things, sometimes I'll hear a song on the radio that will trigger a sermon idea or I'll see something on TV that'll trigger a sermon idea. Or in this case, I actually read an article that triggered this sermon idea and the title of this article is When Baseball Becomes Your Bail. And that'll make a little bit more sense to you guys a little bit later on. But it got me thinking along those lines of who is number one in our lives. And we are actually going to take a look today at the Old Testament. Now, I know some of you are going to say, well, we're not really held to the Old Testament or the Old Covenant anymore. And that's very true. But I think that the Old Testament is very, very important for us because this is where God really reveals who he is and what he is about and what he expects from us. So I think we're remiss if we only focus on the New Testament. Sometimes we've got to take a step back and see what exactly was God trying to tell us. Because the cool thing about the Old Testament is that God still spoke directly to people in the Old Testament. He spoke to the prophets through visions or through different means, and then the prophets spoke to the kings, and the kings spoke to the people, but you get the idea. God actually spoke directly to people in the Old Testament. So I think it's really important from time to time that we take a step back, we look back into the Old Testament, and we look at what God had to say about some different things in our lives. So today we're going to be looking at who's number one. And I don't mean who's your favorite sports team. We all know the Dallas Cowboys are the best football team. We don't need to debate or argue that. But we're not talking about sports teams, we're talking about who is number one in our lives. And we're going to unpack that a little bit here this morning. So, we are going to be looking at one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament today. And this is a story that's going to be very familiar for most of you. And if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings uh, chapter 18. I am not going to take the time to read verses 16 all the way through 40, because for one thing, that would just take up too much of our time here this morning. But I'm going to give you kind of the Cliff Notes version. And some of you older folks like my age and older, you know what Cliff Notes are. They were these handy little guidebooks that you could use to get a snapshot of a book. And you use that to write your paper and you didn't have to read the whole book. Um, so that's what we're going to do here this morning. But we're going to talk about this story because this is one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament. And I think it goes perfectly with our theme of who is number one. So just to give you guys a little bit of the backstory of what we have going on. This is about the prophet Elijah. And Elijah went to King Ahab and had a meeting with him. And this is around the same time that Jezebel was actually killing off all of the prophets of the Lord. 
So Elijah goes to Ahab, and what's going on at this time is the people of Israel are, seem to be torn between worshiping the Lord our God and worshiping Baal. And Baal was a god of fertility and a god of harvest and a god that would provide. So people were torn. Now the reason that they were torn is because there was a famine in the land. So people thought, well, maybe I better hedge my bets here. I'll still worship God, the God that we know and that we worship, but just to make sure that my crops are going to grow and that my animals and my livestock are going to get fed, I'm also going to worship Baal just to kind of hedge my bets, just in case I'm wrong either way. Now, this is where Elijah comes in and says, hey, you guys need to make up your mind. If you think that God is God, then worship him. And if you think that Baal is God, then worship him. But you got to cut out this whole being in the middle stuff. Now, we know what the Bible teaches about being lukewarm, right? And that's exactly what these people were doing. They were worshiping two separate gods. So what Elijah does is Elijah says, all right, we're going to settle this once and for all. We're going to have kind of a showdown, so to speak. So what he does is he calls the 400 prophets of Baal, or the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets that sat at Jezebel's table, and the people of Israel, and brought them all to Mount Carmel. So he brings them all up to the mountain at the same time. Elijah says, here's what we're going to do. You build your altar to Baal, and I'm going to build my altar to God. And whoever answers is the true God. Now, I love this story, and I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't done so in a while, go back after today and read the whole story, because I'm not going to get all of the little details of this story, but it's a really cool story. So, again, the short version is, these people who were worshiping Baal, they built their altar, they took their bull, they sacrificed it on the altar, and they started calling out to their God. Nothing happens. So what they did is, they did this from, the Bible says, from morning until noontime, calling out to their God to come down and bring fire down to prove that he was God. Well, Baal didn't answer. So this went on for hours and hours and hours. So they decide, maybe we need to take it up a notch. And they did. So now they're shouting to their God. They started cutting themselves, because that was a tradition back then. To get their God to listen is they would, they would do bloodletting or they would cut themselves. So they started doing that. And God, their God, Baal, still didn't answer their cries and their pleas. So Elijah, and this is one of the things I love about this story. So Elijah would have been kind of the LeBron James, right, of the prophets. He starts kind of taunting them and he starts kind of mocking them. And he says, hey, maybe your God is sleeping so you should yell louder and maybe wake him up. Okay, that doesn't work. So then he says, hey, he's a god, so he probably has a lot on his mind. Maybe he's just busy, you should yell some more. So Elijah is taunting the people who worship Baal. And I, and I love that about Elijah, that he was so confident in his faith, and he was so confident in his God, that he knew how this was going to play out, and he knew how this was going to end, to the point that he's literally mocking the other side. Now, we see this in sports, right, where they kind of talk trash, they call it on each other, and they make fun of each other. But Elijah knew what he was doing. He was trying to prove a point to all of the people of Israel that were watching this take place of who the one and only God was. 
So this goes on for quite some time, right? And Baal doesn't answer, which we would expect. And it's exactly what Elijah expected. Now, Elijah takes the game up another notch. He says, I want you to, we're going to rebuild the altar using 12 stones, which represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And then he says, we're going to dig a trench around the altar. And what he does is he asks some of the people that are there, I want you to go fill jugs of water and pour it all over the altar. Now, he's doing this because those of you who have ever built a fire know that wet wood doesn't burn. But he's trying to make a point. So he not only does this once, he does it twice, and then he does it a third time. So not only is the altar soaking wet, but there's a trench of water around the altar as well. And that this is the point where Elijah goes to God and says, you are the one true and only God. Please bring your fire down and set this altar on fire. And sure enough, when he prayed to God and asked him specifically for what he wanted, God answered and not only burnt up the altar and burnt up the sacrifice, but he even made all of the water in the trench burn up as well. So many powerful things about what Elijah is doing and his confidence and his faith and knowing to ask God specifically for what he needed. So, he proved his point and people got it. Now, I personally don't know how you could have watched this whole thing transpire and not get it, but we know that there are some that didn't. But we also know that the Bible tells us during this story that many people believe. And then what did they do? They drove out the false prophets. But what a perfect example of who's number one. In this case, it wasn't Baal. It was our God. And what a powerful story that is. That here they had a direct, head-to-head, one-on-one competition. Who's the best of the best? And our God answered the call and proved to these people that he's number one. Now, If you've read the Old Testament recently, the people of Baal were worshiping other gods. This is a continuing theme with the Israelites throughout the Old Testament. That's why they drove God absolutely crazy sometimes. Because he would give them very specific commands and very specific instructions. And what did they do? They worshiped other gods. When, when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, what did the people do? They built a golden calf and worshipped it, just in the 40 days or whatever it was that Moses was up on the mountain talking to God. They couldn't even wait 40 days before they already started doing exactly what God had told them not to do. Now, if you just do a quick search on Bible Gateway or Google or whatever you want to search for Bible verses regarding not serving other gods, you would be amazed at how many verses there are. I pulled up 25 just in an initial search. 25 verses where God says, do not worship any other gods before me. What do I always say? If they says it more than twice, it's probably important. And not only does he say it twice, he says it over and over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. Over and over. Even just within the book of Exodus, he says it 
Something, like, don't quote me on this, something like eight times just in the book of Exodus does he talk about not serving any gods before me. So that story brings us to, I want to take a look at just a couple of other verses, and then we'll talk a little bit about this concept of being number one and what that really means to us as a Christian. So I want to look at some scripture with you. And that first scripture, if you want to turn in your Bibles, is in Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. So Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5. And let's read that together. It says, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth below, excuse me, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. Verse 5 says, You should not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So we see that was in Exodus 20, verse 4 and 5, and then there's the, he turns around 14 chapters later in verse 14 with the scripture that Carl read for us just a moment ago, and he repeats, Do not worship any other gods, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now, you'll probably notice there's, 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 there's a recurring theme here where he is saying, do not worship any other gods. Now, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we talk about that are a little bit confusing, that are a little bit hard to understand, but that language is pretty strong to me. It doesn't say you shouldn't, or I'd really prefer that you didn't. It says, do not worship other gods. And then the last scripture that I want to take a look at is from Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 6, that says, do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. Now, we could read 23 more of these, and you would see that they're all pretty much the same, and they all have the exact same message. Now, some of you are thinking, Aaron, I'm good. I worship our God. I hope that you do. And I pray every day that you do. But, what else do we do? The Bible makes it very clear in the verses that we've looked at so far that we should not worship other gods. And if you really want to take it back, the Ten Commandments, the first two, which to me tells you they're the two most important, say, you shall have no other gods and you shall not make idols. And again, you're saying, perfect, I'm good, I don't make idols. But is that really the case? I would argue that in this day and age, we do have idols. And I would argue that we have other gods. Now, it may not be in the same form that they had in the Old Testament. You may not have a golden calf on your mantle at home. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm from the Midwest. I see a lot of cows on mantles. But if they're, fortunately, they're not worshiping them. But you probably aren't worshiping a golden calf. And you probably aren't worshiping the God of fertility or the God that brings harvest or the God that brings rain or the God that brings crops as they did in the Old Testament. But what are we worshiping? Do we worship school? Do we worship work or money? Do we worship other people? Do we worship social media? Now, here's what I mean by that. When I say, are we worshiping work and money? 
if our work and our desire to make money supersedes our relationship to Jesus Christ, then you're worshiping work and you're worshiping money. Let me say that again. If your desire to make money, to have material things, supersedes your relationship to Jesus Christ, then that's what you're worshiping. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying go out and quit your job and don't provide for your family, because the Bible is very clear on that, too. But we need to take a hard look this morning at what or who is number one in our lives. And is it truly God? Or have we let the fact that we live in Orange County, therefore we all have to work, or at least most of us have to work, to put food on the table and to put our kids in a decent school and to do the things that we need to do, have we let that become our bail? Has that become our priority over our relationship to God? Now, don't read me wrong. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having money. That is not what I'm saying. But when that money becomes more important than God, then it's a problem. I'm not saying you can't have a nice car. I'm not saying you can't have a nice house. Please don't misread that. But what I'm saying is when those things are more important to you than your relationship with God the Father, it's a problem. I see it all the time. One of the big things that I always ask my youth group kids, and I'm not saying just these specific kids, but the youth ministry that I've been doing for the last seven years, is why don't you spend more time in the Bible? Why don't you spend more time in prayer? You know what the number one answer I get is? I don't have time. But yet they have time for Fortnite, and they have time for social media, and they have time for sports, but they don't have time for God. And some of you adults are saying, well, I don't play video games and I don't go on social media. But what I want to encourage you to do this morning is take a look at your life and where are your priorities at. Because I'll give you an example. We have no problem going to a three-hour movie. We have no problem going to a sporting event and we are thrilled to death when it goes to extra innings or it goes to overtime. But when church runs over 15 minutes, we get upset because that's cutting into our me time. Now, a lot of you grew up in the Church of Christ like I did. And I grew up, we were there on Sunday morning, we were there on Sunday night, and we were there on Wednesday night, and it was not an option. And some of you know, we were there when the what? When the doors were open. Right? That's how we we grew up, and that's how we were raised. But now we are at a place where you will hear people say, and this is actually, if you look this up, this is one of the new, new metrics that people use for church attendance, is people feel like they are a member in good standing if they go one and a half to two times per month. Now that's a staggering, staggering statistic to me. Because we have plenty of time for everything else in our lives, but we can't make time for God. And that's wrong. And we've been reading scriptures, and we looked at the Ten Commandments, and we looked at the story of Elijah, and what did each one of those say? Do not worship other gods. So where are we at this morning? 
Is God number one in our lives? And if we can answer that question and say yes, fantastic. That's amazing. But I think that every once in a while we have to take a step back from our busy lives, from our crazy lives, from everything that we have going on and all the excuses that we have to not have a closer relationship with Jesus Christ and say, where are my priorities at? For those of you in business, we do it all the time, right? Every quarter or so, you take a, you take a look at, at how you're doing that quarter and you talk about what do I need to change and where do I need to focus and how do I get better? We've got to do the same exact thing with our relationship to God and say, what am I doing well? What can I be doing better? What are some areas in my life? How do I focus more on that relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I don't know about you, but if I walk out in the parking lot and get hit by a bus today, which if you've seen the way people drive in our parking lot, you wouldn't be all that surprised, but I don't want to stand in judgment and say, I love Jesus, but you know what? I love football more. I love Jesus, but I loved having a big house more. I loved Jesus, but I just didn't have enough time in the day to worship him the way that I should. And that's what it's all about, guys. Putting God first. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for this opportunity that we've had to just come together and just take stock of our lives this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for wanting to be in relationship with us every single day of our lives. And if we haven't been doing the same for you, please just place it on our hearts this morning to make that effort, to take stock of where we're at in our lives, and to really put you first in our lives, Heavenly Father. We thank you that we live in this amazing place and that we have the things that we have, but just help us to always focus on where those things come from and that those things all come from you because we know that everything good in our lives comes from you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for loving us so incredibly much that you sent your son to die on our behalf because we're all sinners, Heavenly Father, and we realize that. And we know that without that amazing sacrifice, we would never have that chance for everlasting life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I want to encourage you this morning as we get ready to leave to take some time this week and to think about what is your bail? What are those things in your life that you need to take stock of or that you need to revisit? And just to remind you of who's number one. If you need to come forward this morning for any reason, if we can pray for you, if we can help you in any way, I want to encourage you to do so in just a moment when we stand and sing. Maybe you've never been baptized into Christ to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and to receive that amazing gift of everlasting life. The baptistry is ready. It's warm. We can take care of that before you leave here this morning. Or maybe you're a Christian and maybe you haven't put God first and you want to come forward and confess of that sin and put that away and leave here in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. You have the opportunity to do that this morning as we come together and as we sing. Beautiful.